Straight Talk Live. Off. Should we get started? Let's go. Let's let's crack on. It's okay. a beautiful day in London. It's also a, a beautiful day here in San Diego. They buy things to impress people that they don't even like. You do have to change the culture. The culture of the organization is the most important. It's as if reality is splintering into multiple shards. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. I'm one of the co-hosts of our not-for-profit show. My name is Rick Snyder. I'm the author of Decisive Intuition and the CEO of Invisible Edge. And today is a topic that's near and dear to my heart around hospitality and specifically. Um, I was a server for five years and it helped pay for part of my college and grad school. And I really got to learn about what it is to um, be customer centric and work in fields where you're hosting and having to read the room table and use your intuition in these powerful ways. Um, but we all know um, everything's been in our world the last you know, 18 months, especially tourism, travel, um, the service industries, hospitality in general has been completely um, paused. Um, and then trying to all of these start stops and all of the frustrations around different regulations and can we go to a restaurant this week or can we not? And can you imagine what it's like being on the ownership side and being on the employee side of that and not really having that security every week of, are we coming in? What's the regulation? Can we go outside? What's the deal? Um, and just having to navigate all of the tricky territory of just not knowing. And what does that take as a leader to have to usher um, your, your people and, uh, you know, your patrons and everyone, uh, to really a great experience and, and enjoy life, especially in times where that's been a challenge. Um, but without further ado, I want to also introduce our co-host Af Maholtra as before we dive into this rich territory. So Af, why don't you say a little bit about yourself and where are you today, by the way, you have a different background. Yeah, thank you, Rick. If I'm cutting out, then my apologies. I'm in a, I, I'm in a manor somewhere outside of London for my sister-in-law's wedding. So, and I had to be on the show today, even if it's cutting out. Uh, bear with me, because I had a wonderful conversation with Max and his personal story around how he and his co-founder have built, grown, transformed. Uh, this incredible business is is deeply moving and inspiring and of course what he's doing with his his business now post pandemic is equally uh important for us to hear so i'm of course the the co-creator of this wonderful not for profit and a tech entrepreneur myself an investor and also philanthropist so I'm going to pass the baton on to you today because my reception, unfortunately, is not as great, but I will come in and over to you, Rick. Let's introduce our excellent guest. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce all of us to Max Goldberg. So Max, welcome to Straight Talk Live. It's great to be here. And I did not know that uh, you were a server before, so we're hiring. So just something to keep in mind, uh, we're, we're ramping up, so... Yeah, it's actually always good to know. Um, thank you for that. Good, um, good I'm, to have options. I'm really good at the upsells. Good, good. Yes. So, um, so Max, you're co-owner of Strategic Hospitality. Um, it's been an incredibly successful venture in Nashville, Tennessee, and I believe you have at least 12 different uh, establishments that you run throughout the city, and it's been incredibly successful with your brother, actually, also. So you co-own that with your brother. Um, tell us a little bit more about you and how you got here. Sure. I, I will add my older, taller, and better looking brother, Benjamin, uh, who founded our company about 17 years ago uh, when I was still in college. Mm. And we partnered up 14 years ago, about two weeks ago. Uh, so a, a fun anniversary and never thought I'd be in this industry, um, but now couldn't imagine doing anything else. Um really just wanted to create jobs in the city we grew up in is, is the core for me. Um, my brother was really the founder and the visionary that saw the momentum of Nashville and what was happening. And I was living in New York at the time. And he came out and said, hey, Nashville's really booming. Uh, you should come back. There's this tidal wave that's building. 
And it took about six months of conversations and both of our parents flying out and saying, here's why you shouldn't do this and keep doing what you're doing in New York, Max, uh, which we love to bring up, uh, but moved back, uh, bought half the company so we could partner up and walk to work every day because I couldn't afford a car uh, to get to work after doing that. And as my wife likes to remind me, I would leave at around 9 a.m. and come home at 4 a.m. Uh, in the early days. And now 14 years later, uh, despite this past past year, which uh, we'll obviously spend some time talking about today, uh, we've had a really, really fun ride building businesses together, creating jobs all across hospitality, uh, a little bit in the concessions business, a little bit in real estate, catering. We own an ice company, uh, which I promised my wife I would not make the joke that that's pretty cool, but here I am. Uh, and we've just really loved doing great things in, uh, in the city we grew up in. That's amazing. Um, you employ over 750 people or so, so really a huge contribution to the local economy. Um, and as you mentioned, um, something happened 18 months ago, um, something pretty big, and <laughs> it, it caught all of our attention. Um, why don't you walk us back to... What was happening, uh, you know, company-wide right before that? And then when that hit, um, you know, one of the heart of the matters that we want to get to today is resilience. And just, you know, it's, I think it's one of the core principles of life, of having to navigate. You know, we all, we all go through our scars and our traumas and our challenges after a certain point in life, if not from the get-go from some people. And, and resilience, I think, is one of the most uh, important qualities as a human being that we can, that we need to learn to harness and to use. So we'd love to just hear some of your stories around when shit hit the fan, how, how did that all go down uh, from your perspective? Yeah, I was actually uh, on a flight back from Morocco uh, for my soon-to-be brother-in-law, now brother-in-law's birthday, and I was on a high. I mean, our company was financially outperforming anything we could have dreamed of. Uh, we were employing over 900 people um, at the time. Uh, life was really good. I was about to propose to my now wife uh, and just life was great. And uh, was working really hard. We were maintaining the projects that we have and all of our concepts are completely different. Um, but we're, we're looking to grow one of our brands to other cities. Uh, we had a dumpling shop. We were opening up with our chef, who was our second chef from the Catbird Sea, which is one of our chef's tasting restaurants. He was actually at Noma for, I think, five or six years when they were named best restaurant in the world. Uh, we had all these great plans, and we were looking to scale up and do things. And then literally overnight, we went from a really healthy revenue uh, thinking about future planning and everything. And overnight, we went to zero. And uh, it's, it's something that I hope no one has to go through in a business, although countless people have. Um, and we made the decision that to preserve the company, um, we had to lay off every single one of those employees for the most part. Mm. We kept our core team. We kept uh, some of our management team in place. And it's because of that core team and uh, the managers that we worked with that we were able to really survive and to go from a company where there was countless James Beard nominations and awards and celebration and we're in this booming industry to go to survival um, was brutal. And my, my sweet wife watched me cry myself to sleep for two weeks in a row because we made the decision as a company that between my brother and I and our core team and managers that we would call every single employee that we had personally to let them know why, to help them get assistance, to keep an open dialogue. And we communicated with them through the pandemic because I really think that in tough times, how you treat people can set culture for about a decade. Yeah. Um, and so we really focused on that. And we did little things that we don't talk about a lot, but we do something in our industry called staff meal where we feed the staff and it's a really sacred time where the staff gets together. It's a great interaction. It's a great way to test new recipes. It's a prideful thing with chefs. We continue to do staff meal, but we took it a step further. And we actually did groceries as well. 
So for some of our staff that, that needed groceries and needed access to food, we provided that through the entire pandemic. Hmm. And we had to pivot our restaurants, the ones that we could. And so for uh, our little oyster bar restaurant uh, with Julia Sullivan, who is a celebrated chef who I've known since first grade, who at the time pre-pandemic was a James Beard finalist for Best Chef Southeast, which is a massive deal. Uh, we pivoted that to a fish camp uh, catering deal where you could actually come in and uh, get things to go. And we, we turned that restaurant essentially into a catering company. And we started doing meal delivery because we love hospitality. We love taking care of people. And we wanted to do that the best way that we could. And, and that was catering. And so we would actually deliver food packages for the week to people to keep feeding them. Uh, we turned Bastion, uh, another one of our chef's tasting restaurants, a cocktail bar, and this really fun kind of uh, boozy cocktail nacho bar kind of deal, we pivoted where we took the chef's tasting dining room and moved it into the open space that people could be separated. You know, we, we did anything and everything we could. Um, but for, I'd say a three or four week period in the unknown, it's just like you're in the trough and you got to figure out where, how can I stay calm to look and find that horizon instead of just letting the wave consume me. And once we navigated through that, we thought, okay, what, what can we do to survive? And we did every single thing that we could through that process to know that, okay, hopefully things will get ramped back up. Uh, but you know, this, this time last year, maybe a little bit before, we didn't know if we were going to have a company. And after 14 years of forgetting your own birthday, missing bachelor parties, just working tirelessly to think that it can all go away with something that's completely out of your control uh, was one of the toughest and best things that could have happened to me. Um, you know, I think it almost makes you a little bit battle-hardened. It shows you really who you are. And I think the, the way that I succeed is how I fail. And even though that failure at the time wasn't anything that I necessarily did, you have to pivot, you have to innovate, you know, innovate or die. And, um, you know, I just watched the Garth Brooks documentary on Netflix. I'm a huge Garth Brooks fan. And and he talks about how every blessing is a curse and every curse is a blessing. And that's really what this past year was. And it was a good reminder for my partnership with my brother, for folks that are out there with their partners, that when things get tough, you can go one of two ways and you can either expand or contract. And a testament to, to my brother, who's also my best friend, we're really good when it's tough and we come together. And, and that partnership was huge for us to be able to survive. And now that we're on the other side of this, I'm knocking on wood because maybe we're premature to, to book this uh, this chat because things could change pretty quickly, even since we last talked. Um, we've done seven record weeks in a row. And so the world is back, uh, at least here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our challenge right now is, I don't know if people can appreciate shutting down a restaurant, opening a restaurant, shutting it down. It's not only wasted food. It's not only having to reorder product. It's retraining staff. And our industry is one that in Nashville specifically, we don't have as many veteran career uh, hospitality workers. And so it's this beautiful stepping stone where people want to go and get into technology or become an architect or a lawyer. And so we get this very special time with them. COVID really accelerated those people to say, okay, I need to step through this and go do what I want. And so our workforce uh, was pretty depleted and we've had to ramp back up and we're lucky that, that we're getting closer to staffing levels, but I could still hire two or 300 people today. And so the, just the challenge of that in itself and our number one priority through COVID and even today is keeping people safe. And so my brother sat on the mayor's task force We were for figuring out the best practices. We were actively checking the best guidance on it, uh, but there was, there was lack of clarity and we, we still have that lack of clarity now. And um, it's a dilemma to figure out how can we keep people safe and keep our business afloat. And that's a real-time challenge we're dealing with right now. You know, one thing I, I want to make a comment and a question. Uh, <clears throat> my comment is it's no wonder you survived from my perspective and have thrived now because I really get the humanity, <clears throat> the humanity with how you and your brother are leading by going the extra mile and calling people and delivering food to them and making sure they're okay when they're not on your payroll anymore. And all those extra steps that most businesses don't do. Um, and that really just goes to show a lot about the engagement, the loyalty, the culture that you mentioned. Um, I have no doubt that you're going to be successful no matter what, uh, having those principles in mind. Cause I, I work with a lot of business owners and coach executives in many different industries. And that, that's doesn't happen all the time. Doesn't happen so often. 
And so you're just, to me, really uh, modeling, role modeling um, leadership culture and servant leadership culture specifically, and what it is to really put others to the foreground, make sure they're taken care of because they will take care of you. And it sounds like you really got that. I appreciate you saying that, you know, we, we live by the Maya Angelou quote that people may not remember what you said or what you did, but always how you made them feel. And that's so much a hospitality. I mean, I, I love food and drink, um, but truly I look at it as a vehicle for conversation. And one of the things that I love about our industry is that we get to be part of people's lives, good, bad, or ugly. If someone has had a bad day, let us make it better. If someone's had a great day, let us help you celebrate, but we get to be part of people's lives. I mean, I don't know anything cooler than that. And so that's what we get to do. And we've been incredibly fortunate that we've essentially opened up one business per year as brothers over the past 14 years together. And they're all different. And one of the things that's really fun that we're doing now that if people in their own industries can do this is is growing with the people that you kind of came up with. And we've been really fortunate that we have opened up three, soon to be four restaurants uh, where we have chef partners that are owners of those restaurants that we're lucky enough to be a part of. It's their restaurants that we get to participate in. We handle maybe some of the nerdy stuff and they really focus on the experience and what hits the plate. Uh, but that's one of the coolest things in the world. And one of those chef partners uh, is our chef, Trevor Moran, that opened up our dumpling shop and a little building we have in 12 South, an area here in Nashville. And we're the geniuses that opened a restaurant in COVID, which is uh, maybe one of the worst choices you could make. But um, we pivoted, we got the restaurant open, we did takeout. Uh, we built a patio that wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, and that restaurant is killing it. And it's so cool to, to see this chef that he's this beautiful, crazy Irish guy that, that I just love dearly. And is just so talented, uh, and to see him thrive in his own restaurant that opening COVID is, is really one of the coolest things I've experienced in my career. Hmm. Um, I'm going to ask a question then Af, I want to, if you want to jump in as well, yeah. <clears throat> one of my questions is around resilience to come back to that point. So I always feel like there's the, you know, the inner resilience and there's the outer resilience of what you need to take care of in a business. And you mentioned some of those already. Um, in terms of the inner side of things, what do you draw on when you are crying yourself to sleep at night two weeks in a row, when you don't know what's going to happen a month from now? Um, even today, you don't fully know what's going to happen a month from now. Um, what do you draw on uh, and what are your support systems that help you uh, just so we can help the other leaders that are listening to these, this show today, the other people out there that might be facing their own version of a, a challenge like this. So I, I had a mentor in college who, who I'm still very close with today, and, and he gave me one of the best pieces of advice that I, I use in my daily practice. And that's that every decision is either based on fear or love. And it's very easy to let fear consume you. And there were definitely days where I just wanted to quit and give up. But that's being afraid. And if you make decisions based on fear, you are emotional, quick to judge, things that just maybe aren't the best practice. But if you go back to that love component, I love what I do. I love the people I work with. I love what we can do for the community. I want to be a good steward of the community. We want to continue to create jobs. There's an inner push that I didn't know was there. And this past year tested us in a way that uh, broke a lot of people. And I get it. Um, but it also motivated a lot of people. And I was fortunate to be one of those folks. And we've innovated our company now where my brother's name is Benjamin. I'm Max. And so we are now implementing Maxifits and Benefits because my brother is the more serious one. He probably wouldn't be wearing a Wu-Tang Clan shirt on such a uh, prominent podcast, but here we are. Um, and the benefit side is, is kind of your traditional benefits to employees. The Maxifit side, we're now trying to offer things where we can have uh, online health classes for our staff, you know, discounts at cycling classes, haircuts. Um, we're actually looking at a mental health uh, hotline that if people need support there, that it's there, which has nothing really to do with food or drink, but it's all about the people. And I think that if you can focus on the people and really try to go above and beyond, it, it pays itself tenfold. Mm. Mm. The model of, uh, thanks, Max. Hopefully you guys can hear me. The model of leadership a great leadership has has remained unchanged over decades, and it's it's quite interesting because it's binary in the sense that if you keep your people happy, your culture stays happy, your environment stays happy, um, and the outcomes and the aspirations are achieved. It's really as binary as that. From GE when Jack Welch ran it to 
you know, Disney to Nike. You know, we were talking about um, Darcy Winslow earlier. And it's amazing to see what you're doing with hospitality because actually you're in one industry that is truly people-based because the food that's produced, thankfully, is not produced by machines. It takes human skill and just the, the finesse and the gravitas and the creativity of the chef to produce a dis- dish that creates a sensory experience that compels someone to come back again and create the memory again and again and again, good times or bad times. So looking after those people who make that experience real is imperative. And whilst it sounds so logical as you describe it, one doesn't practice it as much. Many restaurateurs and hospitality owners don't practice what you've just um, described. And so fantastic to hear that. The other part of this I'd like to dig into is this concept of you described it as innovate or die, disrupt or die. Talk us through what business model innovations you've actually started to roll out. You've touched on some of those already from the point of view of the culture and the people. And that's remarkable, extraordinary. On the outer side, just break that piece down around that chef who's got a dumpling business. That's very, very interesting because many hospitality owners want to think about how they can generate revenue and still stay connected to a mission and a purpose. They don't quite know how to do it because they're caught up in chaos and fear. It's understandable. You're fortunate you have a partner who is your brother that you get along with and you live in a close proximity and you can bash things out and you expanded, you didn't contract, but many have contracted. What what inspiration can you give those people? Let's imagine they're not where you are. So firstly, talk us through these business model innovations, if you would, and then a little bit of guidance as to what could one do if you are in that space of contraction, not expansion? So this will be close to to your heart, but the technology side of it, we really leaned into. And we use um, some different reservation platforms to be uh, more efficient with our bookings that the guests never felt, uh, but that we were able to do. Uh, we implemented a company that, that helped us monitor and track health symptoms with folks. And so being able to have those pieces to really uh, make sure we were as safe as we possibly could be. We actually brought nurses in to our restaurant uh, to test our staff to see if they had COVID. Uh, we had people who were on site to give vaccines. We helped coordinate for any, anything we could do to help people we tried to do. And, uh, to me, that was pretty innovative because we hadn't really thought about those things before. Um, we invested in an accounting company that has been fantastic. That has really helped us, uh, be as efficient with our finance. We need to be a for-profit company despite, uh, sometimes, you know, the restaurant industry can be a not-for-profit. Uh, so that accounting company has been fantastic. And it really is, has made us realize with certain brands that we have, and one of them is Pinewood Social, which is our uh, bowling alley, swimming pool, bocce court, bar, restaurant uh, that caters to the creative class um, that really focuses on, on businesses growing out of there as an extension of their home or office. And I've been fortunate to see people meet in those that business and hey, you make leather, I'm making hats, and I, I get to watch companies grow out of that. I mean, how, how cool is that? And we were fortunate to, to sell a piece of Pinewood to a family office during COVID, and we're actually looking to grow it to some cities that I think are similar to Nashville. And I say this with a ton of love, that are these second-class cities that we could go in and actually hopefully make an impact. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate financially, but it is not my main motivator. It's It's how can we impact people? How can we create meaningful jobs? What can we do to, to help a community? And I think the money comes later and that, that served us well after the f- past 14 years. Um, I would say that when you are in that kind of contracting state, um, you really realize like how much grit you have and what you can do to push. And, um, you know, I, I love the, the quote by Michael Jordan, I've never lost a game, I've only run out of time. And I think that it's something that you, you outwork failure if you have to. And the harder I work, the luckier I get. Um, and it's, it's just something that you really realize um, who you are and, and how you show up and how you walk in the world um, when the times are tough. The funny thing is the only time my brother and I really fight as business partners is when we're doing really well. Say more about that part. 
you know, when, when things are, you know, it's, it's kind of like the worst employee you can have is the good one, the bad ones you fire, the great ones you celebrate, but the good ones are just kind of tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think that when things were really good and in a good way, and because we're brothers uh, and so close as friends, we push each other and, you know, we'll just kind of beat the shit out of each other in, in a healthy way. And that is how I think a lot of our, our uh, projects have been as successful as they are. But uh, we're fortunate that, like I mentioned earlier, when, when times get hard and they have throughout our 14 year career, I mean, there's definitely been plateaus and ledges and, and uh, you know, roller coaster drops. And, and this past year was the biggest of all of them. Uh, but we looked inward and we fought like hell um, and we just never gave up. I'd love to ask you about that real quick is um, I, I've worked with a lot of family run businesses. And I think a lot of people listening might be a family run business people out there might be working with their brother, father, mother, et cetera. Um, and usually it's one of the more challenging dynamics because you have multiple roles that you're playing, right? You're someone's brother, but then they might be your CFO or however that might look or co-owner. Um, and so it sounds like you guys have had a really great relationship. Um, what advice do you have for people out there who are working with family and friends also? Because a lot of times what I see is you actually have to have even more clarity and even more of a boundary with those people that o- overlap in your other parts of your life. So mm-hmm. that doesn't bleed into the business. What, what, what can you tell us about how you navigate that successfully? Yeah, we're fortunate that it works, right? I mean, that's, that's, I, I don't take that for granted at all. Uh, I would say if you want peace, prepare for war, you know, similar to, to maybe a prenup, get it out of the way before it gets going. So it's just not ugly. Uh, that's what my brother and I did. We put a Texas shootout in things get bad. He buys me out. I buy him out, whatever it is. And luckily that's just a, a document that, that collects dust. But I, I talk about how great the partnership is. I'll give you a story for those out there who um, may be having a challenge with their partner. Uh, when my brother and I were opening up our cocktail bar, the Patterson house, uh, which just celebrated its uh, 11th anniversary and was really almost like a disruptive technology and cocktails in Nashville, which was super fun. Uh, we were opening it up and it was stressful and we weren't sure what was going to happen and uh away from the staff but they kind of knew my brother and I actually got into a fist fight and uh he would say he won I would say I won but it was it was a healthy fist fight and my reaction to it was I went and I bought him a pocket watch and I engraved on it we're best friends brothers and business partners never let us forget that order and we haven't since wow but maybe you know a punch in the face is good every once in a while F I need to get you a watch <laughs> Sorry, buddy. I need to get you a watch. Hey, Bye, man. That's uh, uh, sweet. I have another. One. I have another one for you. Let's talk a little bit more about people who support you through the journey. You talked about your partner. Um, in this case, your wife. Uh, talk, talk us through what that's been about, because you know, being an entrepreneur myself, I can tell you, this is not a solo journey, co-founder or no co-founder. And in fact, your co-founder is to a large extent, and they don't really get talked about too much as the person who you come back to at night, uh, who's waiting for you, and and you know, your bed's empty, and they're cooking for you, and sometimes the meals get cold, and you come back at four in the morning. And uh, often you see in entrepreneurship that, you know, divorce rates are very high. Let's be honest. I mean, you can read any biography. We all know entrepreneurs because you grow apart. You know, you work really hard. You don't see each other. You're like, did you not know this was happening with the kids? If you've got kids or when did you start thinking like this? Well, I did. Well, that's the problem. You don't really talk to me. And this, this sort of conversation goes on. And I'm sure you've been there as well. I have. You've got to really work at it. And which means you've got to find the time to do all of the other stuff and work at the relationship. Um, walk us through your your experiences, good and bad. How have you retained or changed um, your life partner? Because I think they have a, a very, very important role in all of the... I, 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 talk, I talk about, I have this quote, I make friends with uncertainty. But actually, just to cut all the crap out for people who are not entrepreneurs, that uncertainty is only supplemented with certainty, which is home. I can deal with all the uncertainty, but there's one certainty and whatever that certainty is. And for me, it's my wife and home. How do you deal with that? What about you? And talk us through your experiences. I think you're a sum of who you spend, uh, like the the five people you spend the most time with is kind of who you end up being. And I'm really fortunate that my core network, you know, I've got my mother here. I'm very close to who lives a 10 minute walk away. So even during COVID, we could go for walks. Uh, my brother, obviously, um, for those listeners out there, entrepreneurs organization, EO and YPO have been really powerful for me. 
And then how we all connected through my great friend, Stacey Tank, the Henry Crown Fellowship, the Aspen Institute has created an amazing support group for me that uh, I love dearly. But I, I could spend countless days with you talking about how incredible my partner is. And uh, we've all been in relationships where you don't have that support. But if you do have that support at home, which I'm fortunate to have, uh, you feel like you can conquer anything. Like if this is good, I can figure the rest out. And a gift of COVID is um, one, we got engaged and married during COVID, which is pretty special after being broken up for 10 years, which is a totally different story. Um, but one gift of COVID is that she's uh, with Belvedere Vodka on the education side. And so she travels two weeks a month, not to like Omaha, but to Sri Lanka. And wow. so her travel, I mean, she's, she's on the global team, was completely grounded. So as brutal as COVID was, it was the greatest gift for the two of us because we've had essentially 18 months without a day apart. Mm. So having that support through COVID, I probably would have broken if I'm being totally vulnerable, if I didn't have her through this process. And what, what, what does it feel like now? Because the world may open up again. It may not, it may not open up fully, but um, how do you see life now? Because of course, 18 months, she's been there. You've been with each other, supporting each other through the hardest times. So your point, those tough times and what you do with one another shapes, um, shapes your culture in terms of the relationship culture with you and her. You know, because there's a culture, there's a subculture, microculture there too that doesn't get talked about. What are you going to, it's a personal question, but if you can answer it, how are you going to deal with it now? Is she going to go back to work? Are you going to change the the, the modus operandi? Because it was it would have been amazing, right, to have her and for her to have you for 18 months for such an extended period. How are you dealing with that? Yeah, you know, I, I, I celebrate what she does with work. And I think that um, COVID really re reprioritized certain things that I thought that were important that weren't. And experiences and people and, and saying yes to more things and having a healthy work-life balance, which I've been on the other side of for a lot of time, uh, I'm being better at. So, you know, if, if we want to get away for a quick trip where as before I would never have done it, we do that now. And that's, yeah. that's an incredible gift that I hope I carry forward. Um, you know, I, I think that when she starts traveling again, which will hopefully be pretty soon, um, she'll get to see her family again. She's over, her family's from Chiswick. So they're over in, in London and Notting Hill and she hasn't seen them in forever. So I can't wait for her to get back. We've already booked tickets home for Christmas because as you English people know, Christmas is a massive deal. And as a Jew, I'm learning all about this, but it's great. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, but I, you know, I think we're, we're so strong and good and um, I don't take that for granted at all, but it's similar to a career. It takes work and it takes prioritization. And um, I think continue to try to, to make sure that we are each other's priority. You know, the business can be the business, but without, without that core piece at home, I don't know if you have much. Hmm. I can very much appreciate your priorities and you seem to have them very clear, which is wonderful. Um, I want to take it more to the business side for a second also, because um, there's the resilience that we're talking about with personal support and, and family and networking community. There's also, how do I make my business more, a little more disruptive proof, a little, like, what can I do on that side of the fence? And I would imagine things like cash reserves are, are a different, you have a different appreciation for that, I would imagine now than 18 months ago and, and those kinds of things. What, what are some of the lessons that you've had to learn and how are you positioning your business moving forward? How are you thinking about it in a different way? Also for our audience who's might have their own businesses they're listening for some of the lessons learned and how are you taking that to preparing yourself for today and tomorrow well i probably shouldn't say this but i will and maybe you guys can edit it out if it gets me in trouble but you know early days the first year of my career i swiped my american express to advance payroll which is completely illegal and you should not do it but we were forced to do it because we literally ran out of money. Mm -hmm. And as an entrepreneur, if you've never worried about payroll, I'm not sure if you've ever really been, you know, an entrepreneur. Um, and I hope that's not offensive, but yeah. it's just to have that appreciation. We've definitely been more cautious. We always had additional capital knowing that we needed that rainy day fund. Um, we were really fortunate that the restaurant acts uh, happened and that PPP really helped save our company. So we did have that support. We certainly have larger cash reserves now, just knowing that things can turn quickly and mm -hmm. We sit here today and tomorrow, everything could change. And that, that uncertainty is, is pretty tough, but I think we're more mentally and emotionally prepared for it. Uh, we've diversified our thinking where we started buying assets in real estate so that we can really protect that uh, rent schedule. If things got bad, we have great relationships with our partners. Um, we've been fortunate in that regard. 
the investment in the accounting firm, just to know that that piece is taken care of and great has been fantastic. And they really helped us navigate um, some of those submission letters. Ha having the team around you uh, was critical. And it's also diversified us in that we're gonna most likely leave Nashville and try to do a project outside of the city for the first time, uh, which we've never done in our 17 year company history. Um, but I definitely think about it differently. You know, I think that uh, we're tougher for it. You know, I, I kind of like just bring it. Whatever, whatever's next, like we, we're ready. Like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? You know, gotta love Mike Tyson. We got punched in the face and we've reevaluated our plan we realize we can pivot and we're incredibly fortunate that our core team and, and a lot of our folks out of that 14 years that I've been part of the company have been with us for 10 plus years. They, they were incredibly efficient uh, with their time. They really helped save our company as well. And so continuing to invest in those people, continuing to celebrate them, financially compensating them uh, the best way we can. Um, now that, you know, we're, we're a profitable company again, uh, we're definitely things that, you know, the refocusing of people, having that diversification and just being a little bit more protective. And even things like, uh, your service lines and doing more takeout and having to pivot and adapt in some of those ways, sounds like we're super innovative that has even carried forward to today and how you're thinking about, you know, the interface with, you know, customers today and what that looks like. And we were lucky that we had a really good um, network of customers that we were able to reach out to and let them know uh, what was happening and what we were offering. And we've kept that core group and we continue to celebrate them. But if, if it wasn't for our core folks that have been supporting us for a while, I'm not sure we would have survived. Max, um, I want to take the conversation towards something that um, stayed with me after the conversation we had. Um, and it's clear that the mindset that you have and your brother has is very much about giving. And um, that's reflected in everything you've just said over the last 45 minutes or so. One part of giving back is giving to those outside of your typical circle of trust, as in your staff and your friends and your employees and, and so on. And you've done something pretty powerful for a group of people. And you talked about a particular story. Feel free to straight talk that today. There are no bars here. There's no, there, we're not editing anything out. It's, it's the way it says, because what you said to me, and I'm not going to give it away. Um, I've repeated quite a few times to a few other people. And I was really inspired to see that you had the guts and the courage to share that with me then. And hopefully you'll have that today because you de demystified and you challenged a uh, convention, which was, there was, there's an expectation when you go to a group of people you know and have the resources and you say to them, I want you to help someone. And then something opposite of that happens. And so uh, I'm just giving you random clues here, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Can you talk us through how you're helping people around you who uh, may not be as fortunate as you? And what happened when you thought, uh, actually, it's going to be pretty straightforward because you had an expectation, which obviously didn't get fulfilled. So yeah. you're talking about my you. kid, right? The kid I've been mentoring. My actual kid, but the kid I've been mentoring since fifth grade. So, indeed, indeed. Uh, absolutely. One, one piece of experience here I could give to, to the listeners out there is, you know, the, the sense of giving back is, is so critical, especially if you're in a position to do so. And uh, after being back in Nashville for a couple of years, I realized I had a little bit of time, a little bit of money and, and thought, what can I do to, to make a difference? And I think uh, education is uh, the solution to a lot of the world's problems. And I went to a charter school here called Kip Academy. And I went to the, the head of the program and I said, hey, I got a little bit of time, a little bit of money. What can I do to help? And he said, well, the fifth grade boys want to have a basketball team, but we don't have money or anyone to coach. And I said, well, I'll do both. And I was, uh, I was a mediocre basketball player in high school, but uh, some of the guys I played with were better. So I named myself head coach, uh, obviously, and uh, brought in these guys and we coached this team and uh, we won the championship that year, which was pretty cool. The, in the four years coaching, it was the only time we won the championship. But um, wow. one of the young men on the team uh, who I still consider like a son today, uh, he played on that team, you know, timed out of it, was my assistant coach. We stayed very close. Uh, we could talk about it forever, but he created a scholarship for him where I went to school called the University School of Nashville. Uh, they were incredible. 
He graduated, got a full academic ride to Georgetown University, which is a school that probably wouldn't have even let me on campus because I wasn't smart enough, but he was totally brilliant. Uh, and as he was graduating, um, I reached out to, to some friends that were in a position to make an impact, uh, and they, they just didn't. And that was really disappointing. But what was incredible to me, incredible to me is that a lot of the, the close relationships I had with African-American males, man, did they show up and uh, helped get him to where he needed to be. And he's now in a position to have generational change within his own family uh, with the income that, that he potentially can make in this position. And he's now out in Seattle and actually had his first flight delay yesterday and called me and said, what do I do? And I go, welcome to business travel. I don't know what to tell you, uh, but he's, he's thriving. And it was, it was a great lesson for me to, to see how that community uh, showed up for this young man. Uh, and he's now thriving. And it's, it's really cool to see uh, the change he's making in his own family and to see you know, his, his brothers kind of look at him and say, I want to do that. And, um, you know, his, his graduation day at Georgetown was one of the best days of my life. And he got to take two people and he took me and his mom, which was just so cool to be there to celebrate him. And he's now launched and, you know, is, is still a, a total pain in the ass as kids can be from time to time, but he is, he is thriving. And as I love to say, he's off the payroll now. So he's, he's rocking and rolling, but, uh, it was, it was a great reminder of how incredible, uh, that that community of these African American males just showed up for him and and helped make it happen. Are you planning to do more of this stuff? Um, how how does that fall into the grand sort of scheme of things and the plans for your business in terms of giving back? Yeah, the the story with Brian was just kind of an organic one, but I do think that you can go in and, and help make real change. And and through the Henry Crown Venture, the Henry Crown Fellowship, you launch a venture, and one of uh, the things I was working on was to create something called urban farms that would actually take uh, plots of land and grow uh, produce and different things on and actually open up a small restaurant where that community could go in and learn about jobs and earn money and then learn where their food comes from. Because I, I was given a talk to like a fourth grade class and talking about like this tomato farmer I just met. And this one girl goes, oh, tomatoes are, are gross. They're dirty. And I go, well, what do you think is clean? And she said, well, a McDonald's wrapper, like it's just, it's beautifully packaged. And man, did that scare the shit out of me. Like that, that can't be where kids think, you know, food is, is healthy and coming from. And so started working on that venture, COVID hit and kind of had to pause on it just because of, you know, everything was shut down. And so pivoted and now really fortunate there. I'm trying to work with different chefs and through our concessions business, and we're opening a restaurant in the airport, some of these things that have scale pairing those chefs up where they have real ownership that can create uh, real economic stability for them and help them launch. And that's something that, you know, happened within our own company with chefs we're working with. And now we're actively looking for really, really talented people doing great stuff um, and try to help, help accelerate them where they have real ownership. Cause I think ownership can create uh, generational wealth and generational change. And it's really fun helping put those people together. That's fantastic. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I love uh, your your personal experience of that, but then also looking at the wider picture of how you can support uh, and contribute in a bigger way. Um, and it's remarkable. And I hope people listening, it, it spurs on, you know, those kinds of thoughts and relationships you might have in your communities and what you can do, whether it's reaching out to one individual or organizations, um, you know, that's that's huge right now, especially. I think doing well by doing good is, is a really nice thought. And I have never found where when I did the right thing or tried to do something for someone else that it didn't pay itself back. Mm -hmm. Never the intention, but fortunate where it's worked out. We have a, a question, uh, and this is a good reminder for our audience right now. If you want to bring in your questions, if you're listening on YouTube or Facebook or wherever you may be, um, we want to get these questions out to Max. And our first one to, to listen to get the maxifits. Let's get the, <laughs> the, the maxifits here. Um, so yeah. the question is uh, never heard that. That's a great, by the way. Uh, what tech innovations within the hospitality industry are you most excited about in the next six to 12 months? It's a great question. And it is Maxifit, uh, which Maxifits. Uh, yeah, Jordan, Maxifits. who's worked with us for almost 10 years, who's uh, our head of marketing and, and helps us with social media and everything. She came up with that. So if she's listening, credit to her. Um, you know, there, there's 
a lot of things that she's brought to my attention. I mean, I'm 38 years old. I'm feeling kind of old now and out of touch. You know, I, I'm learning about some of these tech things. Um, but talk a reservation system, uh, which was started by one of the guys who founded Alinea out of Chicago, uh, which was just acquired, has been tremendous for us uh, in terms of plotting reservations. And, you know, we saw an uptick of our bowling reservations, for example, which we're fortunate where bowling will book out uh, you know, a month in advance, we saw revenue 25% go up with nothing other than implementing this system. Um, our reservation system at some of our chef's tasting restaurants that use talk, that was incredibly powerful. I also think that uh, COVID from uh, the behavioral health and mental health standpoint and, and telehealth and some of the things that can be there to support folks uh, is something I'm super excited about, learning about, trying to figure out best practices. But being able to provide those things to help support people out of the restaurants. Um, I think the technology piece, whether it's, you know, one of the services we're looking at is actually text messaging. So if you have an issue, you can literally text um, somebody in a mental health professional to assist you, which is something that has been pretty challenging in our industry. Uh, so I'd say probably learning more about the, the mental, how we can support more mental health, especially in our industry, utilizing technology uh, is something that we're, we're spending a decent amount of time on right now. Max, how do you how do you look at um, because you have a variety of different sort of portfolio companies doing different things in the, in the hospitality arena? How do you look at uh, the concept of home delivery? So you know you've got uh, in the UK you've got Deliveroo, of course Uber Eats in the states and, and many other different brands. How do you see yourself meshing into this new model of? Even even high quality home eating, you know, it's through the pandemic, people have accepted they're not going to restaurants or they've probably some people have got used to not going out and having a meal, but having that meal in the comfort of their homes. How do you respond to that? Uh, uh, let's call it augmentation, not disruption in the industry. Yeah. So full disclosure, <clears throat> I am not a fan of delivery at all. Uh, if I could never do it again, I wouldn't. Um, just because you can't, when it leaves the restaurant, I can't control what gets delivered to the person. Uh, out of necessity, we did it, um, but you, you just lose the experience. And we're, we're such a company that focuses on when you enter into one of our restaurants or bars or our hotel or whatever it is, um, we want you to feel like you're almost stepping into our home. And so much of, of what you experience um, is really what happens in the restaurant. And I don't know if you guys have this way, but I've been very fortunate to eat in some of the best restaurants in the world. And I will not name which ones they are, but sometimes you go in and you're just a number in the system and it's just the food is coming out. And then you'll go to a dive bar and have like a mediocre burger, but have the best experience you could with a human being. I'll take that dive bar every time because so much of, of what I think of hospitality goes back to the people. Um, you know, there's, there's massive surcharges that come with these delivery platforms that come out of the restaurant's pocket. You know, it's not to get political, but, you know, Postmates, Uber Eats, massive profitability during COVID where countless restaurants closed. And so uh, for me, I would encourage to go to the restaurant, pick it up directly if you don't want to go in um, and try to stay away from delivery if you can. I, I use delivery myself. It's, it's easy. I get it. Um, but it's just, you know, it's, it's not, it would not be my first recommendation. Gotcha. It's interesting because um, the, the art and science of hospitality is, is something that we have to hold on to. And I think one of the big, one of the big threats that we see, I certainly see myself is um, as much as I'm a technology enthusiast and I love all aspects of it. I think one of the big issues with technology is that it, it eats into the, the conscious um, and it eats into what makes us human in every walk of life, you know, like from the home to being a parent all the way out to your friends and family into the, the, the shopping experience. And then, of course, the eating experience and uh, supply chains are, are changing anyway, like more and more people are using industrialized technologies to produce food that looks the same, the same size, same shape, because it's more profitable, of course. And that's one issue that one has to deal with. So the gourmet experience, the boutique, uh, you know, um, experience that you're creating with your chain, which I really hope that the world holds on to, no matter what happens, is is scarce. Uh, I mean, you know, even I'm, I'm in a manor somewhere out of London, and if, whilst it's a fantastic looking manor, I had a, a terrible experience when I was checking in. I was just thinking about what you just said to me. 
because it's a great place and it's beautiful and it's on a golf course and so on. But actually, my my general demeanor right now um, after that experience was not a great one because no matter how great my room or the facility is, that human experience was broken. And it makes me think uh, my, my, my next question to you before we close off really is about training and development. And, uh, you know, we've seen some of the biggest hotel chains in the world and hospitality houses, like you talked about Noma earlier on. And I have had the pleasure of trying out just the great food uh, a long time ago. And yeah, this, I think the service was, was good. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't fall off my chair or anything uh, around the service, but I think it was good. But um, I've been to amazing hotels in the world that have just made me feel just amazing, just amazing. And so it feels like I've never been to any of your properties. And we will, of course, Rick and I are going to come to Nashville and, and experience this. Um, t- tell us how, how because um, you've got to be really good at this. How you how you look at training and development? Like what what's your ethos? How do you get you know we work for you right? Or Rick wants to go back to his 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 server role at some point. Hey, um, he he had me at nachos. Be- he had me at nachos and dumplings. So I'm there. <laughs> yes. I'm there. <laughs> how would you train a Rick? You know what's so different about how you look at the ethos of you know you're walking into my family home or it's it, it, that way of thinking. Talk us through that. How do you guys do it differently? You said work for us. Nobody works for us. Everyone works with us. And our company mission statement is to positively exceed expectations in everything we do. What the hell does that mean? Right. It's like the biggest statement you could ever make. And we actually did a little bit of self-reflection and, and we're fortunate. We had great folks we worked with, um, but we could have done better jobs with training and, and more systemized things. And as we've grown, one of the hardest things for me is I don't know every employee I work with anymore which is uh, brutal for me. I, I make an effort. I try to be in the businesses every day if I can, um, but it's just, it's, it's really tough to do. Um, I think we try to find more than tech, like a technically skilled person in hospitality. It's way more about like the, would I have a beer with them test? And, you know, one of the questions I like to ask in an interview is what are you reading right now? You know, uh, you know, hopefully it's Rick's book, but you know, like, what are you, what are you into? Or, you know, um, when was the last time you failed? You know, how do you use uh, comedy, you know, in, in terms of your job? Questions that are a little outside of just, hey, I'm applying for a job at X chain restaurant. And, you know, you got to learn the restaurant 101 piece. You have to understand like your, your core principles of whatever business you need to do. You have to have those handled. That's the easy part. It's the personality piece of, you know, like it's like Danny Meyer setting the table. If I have this here and it's just a little bit off, does it really matter? Probably not. But if you're checking into the hotel, uh, you know, in, in your most English comment I'll hear all day, you're in a villa outside of, of, of London, I just love, and you have a bad experience, that's what you're going to remember. You know, it's, it's, that's what you're going to remember about that place, no matter how high the thread count is on your sheets or, you know, how beautiful your backdrop is. If you don't have that, that people component and you know, what we do is, is a race without a finish line. And you really have to, to be able to use your personality and your skill set in such a people-driven business uh, to, to create those memories. I mean, my favorite thing in the world is to see servers, managers, bartenders, whomever, having a genuine human interaction and, and impacting people in a positive way. And if they spill a drink or they screw up an order, but they can recover, that's all I care about. And, you know, we, we really, really try to empower folks to almost own their own sections or their own areas where they are and let their personality shine. I mean, I think that's such a key piece if you're in a business like mine that's so driven by people. One question that comes up, being, having been in the restaurant industry, when you get to certain kinds of restaurants, there can be a strong territorialness between wait staff who want the best sections and get the best, you know, returns and what have you. Um, and I've seen cutthroat cultures where people will stab each other in the back to get those sections and tell the owner about something going on with the other employees. And like, it can get nasty in some of these places. Um, have you ever had to deal with those kinds of dynamics and how do you weed those things out of the garden, so to speak? We do a boxing match at the end of every shift and we just see what happens. Uh, <laughs> UFC we, style. We, we took that uh, away from even being a possibility and we pull everything together. So instead of having a territorial deal, and yes, there are better sections, everything gets pooled together so that we're working with each other. Mm. And 
it's a little bit of a, it self-regulates itself where if someone's not pulling their weight, their team lets them know it. And it keeps me out of having to even manage that component of it, but it's been really successful for us. And it's something we do company-wide. That's great. So team accountability, um, that's really cool. I haven't heard that so often. I mean, I hear that in not, not as much the finer dining restaurants and those kind of things. So that's, that's really cool. What we found is that it's more of a collaborative effort. It's something that uh, they champion each other and everyone makes more money. I mean, how, how, what gets better than that? Yeah. And I really speaks to the, the vibe, right? There's what's the kind of environment we want to have that feels good where we're supporting each other. We're not trying to, you know, stab each other to get to the top kind of feeling. Yeah. I probably, again, shouldn't say this, but I've never opened a business to make money. You know, I touched on it earlier. It's, it's always, are we creating things that are going to be meaningful and the rest will come later? I think that, you know, for those folks that are out there, if they really focus on just pushing ahead and, and grinding out and being as innovative and, and doing things purely for how can we make our company better? How can we make our people better? The financials will come later. And that's certainly true in our story. No, no more swiping American Expresses to advance payroll, which I probably should not admit publicly, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. All good. All good on Straight to Talk Live here. So um, although we can't protect you. Okay, um, great, great, yeah. Another question from Facebook here is what ways have you adapted to make people feel welcomed when you can't necessarily welcome them with a smile because of masks? So even though it's a literal question, even figuratively, um, it, it's an awkward time, right? Like we're all in this unknown, awkward space, relational space. Um, how do you make people, what's the extra mile you do? How do you make people feel welcome? Whoever asked that question is very insightful because it was something that we spent about a hundred hours talking about. Hmm. And um, the phrase we came up with uh, came from my uh, wonderful, beautiful uh, cousin-in-law uh, who was who a Ford model for a decade. And she always said, smile with your eyes. That is hmm. what she did. So I took that phrase from her and we applied it to the staff of trying to smile with your eyes. And even though you have a mask on, it's little gestures that you can make to make people feel more welcomed. Um, we were one of the first groups to really have masks, hand-washing stations, hand sanitizers at every table. We now realize we didn't need to be doing it, but we were spending thousands of dollars every week spraying on a nightly basis. We, we employed a human being at a time where we couldn't afford to waste money um, who literally would go around and just wipe down services, surfaces. And, um, just be there to try the, those high contact surfaces this person would, would wipe down and um, just try to do anything we could to make people feel safe, starting with the staff and then to guests. Uh, and we really, we really continue that on today. Um, but the masks were, were brutal. Um, you know, any, any guidelines that we're giving, we're going to do. But for our industry to not be able to see someone's face is so much about what we do. So smile with your eyes. Uh, that, that was our phrase. Love that. That's so true. Um, yeah, that's great. And that, that says a lot of just like remembering the essence, the essential nature and tapping into that, not focusing so much on some of the externals, but who, what are you radiating? You know, what's your intention? What's your mindset? How can you remember what that is every day? Remind the staff, especially if people are off that day, how can you help pick them up? And it seems like you guys are so clued in on that across your businesses. Well, thank you. We, it's, it took a hundred hours to figure out that one phrase that, you know, someone else came up with. So you know, we're geniuses over here, but thank you. I love that. Um, we're going to wrap up in a couple minutes. Do you have any last words for people listening in, uh, whether, whatever stage of, uh, being in a business, running a business, working with other people, we all have to, you know, we all work with people in some service industry of some sort. And so any last words on just what we're facing today and just encouragement for the, the days ahead here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to make everything look like it's okay. Uh, it's not sometimes and not being okay is, is fine. And, you know, it, it's easy to be a duck on water, right? Like everything looks calm, but we're, we're pedaling like hell underneath. Um, I would say something that ser has served me well um, and I, I would pass on everyone is as you're navigating whatever challenges you may have or issues you're having with friends, family, coworkers, businesses, um, just be kind. Like, I know that's such a silly thing to say, but if you're just kind, things will probably work out. And I think we've lost a little bit of that kindness in the world. And I, I'd love to just reiterate that if you're kind, it's probably going to be all right.
Love it. There's so many gems that you've shared today and just really appreciate once again, your humanity, you and the work that you and Ben and Jordan and the whole team have done. Uh, really remarkable, the culture that you have set forth and really inspiring. So really appreciate you being on our show today. Well, really appreciate the time. I hope I didn't bring down the credibility of your show by being here, but it was an honor to hang out with you guys and look forward to seeing you uh, in person whenever that, that can happen. We have real-time tech and we had a credibility spike the last hour, just so you know, in a, oh, good. Good, in a, in a positive, in a hockey stick fashion. <laughs> Fantastic. Af, any final words from you on your side? Beautiful. No, really, really amazing session, Max. Thank you so much. And to Jordan as well. I know she's dialed, dialed into this, um, you know, and uh, so many powerful sort of important lessons and you, you radiate a really nice, it's a really nice energy as well, um, mate. Uh, and I think it's um, it's very important that um, you're authentic. And like the people who introduced you to us, you guys, no wonder you get along with each other because you you do you all radiate some excellent um, energies. No matter what happens, you know, business, no business, and that's important because we're human at the end of the day. I just want to say, when you come to London next, uh, Chiswick, or what's close to my place, we've got a meet up and. I'll take you to some restaurants this time and um, learn a few things from you. And then one day we have to come to Nashville and I encourage a lot of our listeners who might be based in Nashville, I don't know, who will watch this or the replay, go go check out these amazing properties and, and beautiful restaurants and the hospitality sort of ethos that you bring forward. Sounds so compelling and attractive. Thank you very much for being the person you are and giving us your time. We're, we're deeply grateful. We know you're busy as well. So, um, a, a, you know, thank, thank you. A grateful, a grateful me and a grateful Rick here. Well, I appreciate it. And I'll be over for Christmas. I, I can already taste the Scotch egg and, you know, the pub life just suits me fine. So I'll see you at the pub. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 100%. And then, and then for our listeners, where should they go to find out more about you and your businesses and your work? Um, where should, what's an easy place they can go to? Uh, our company is Strategic Hospitality, and uh, you can check out our website, which lists all of our restaurants, um, where we, we will announce some of the new stuff we're doing here shortly. But uh, Strategic Hospitality is our company. Uh, you can just Google it. I think it's strategichospitalityonline.com. In fact, I don't know that. Jordan's going to yell at me right when we hang up. Uh, but Strategic Hospitality here in Nashville, and hopefully come into a city near you soon. Amazing. And really quick for our listeners, we're going to take a two-week holiday summer break. The next couple of weeks, we won't be live on air the next two weeks. Uh, our first, our next episode in September is going to be with Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari and Chuck E. Cheese and a lot of other uh, great establishments. And he's going to, he's now in the space of AI and education. So we're going to be learning what he's up to in the latest frontier of his journey. Um, so that's what's in store in two weeks. Maybe we'll be going to Nashville. Who knows? Uh, but thank you again on all you straight talkers out there. Um, may this be inspiring to all the people in your lives. So thanks again, Max, for being on our show and being part of our straight talk uh, tribe at this point. Thank you, guys. Okay. Over and out. Thank you. Take care. Thanks.